Hey guys, Zach here, and I wanted to let you guys know that Fieldwork is brought to you in part by General Mills. General Mills is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030. Welcome back to another episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. I'm Zach Johnson, and I'm sitting across from a degenerate. <laughs> That's as creative as I can get. <laughs> Straight to degenerate. The way it was like going from, we have a really professional podcast here going on, to nope, this yeah, is no. degenerates uh-uh. who have bendy microphones. Somebody gave us a studio, and now we're going to talk about cover crops. That's right. Yeah, well... Now I'm all sweaty again, so let's get into the cover crop <laughs> issue here, now that we've made it uncomfortable. Well, we'll, we'll see where we can go. I'm sure it'll continue <laughs> to be uncomfortable. And yeah, we're, we're besides keep a learning. degenerate, who exactly am I sitting across okay, from? Okay, so besides a degenerate, uh, my name is Mitchell Hora, and I'm a farmer from Iowa. All right, so this is our uh, our next little episode that we're doing on cover crops. Again, cover crops are uh, a complicated subject. They're not cut and dry. Uh, not always a simple thing. There's a lot of different things you can do with cover crops, different things you want to achieve. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. Excited to talk to a, a really great guest here today, talk about his experience with cover crops. Doug Adams is from Northern Iowa, and uh, he excited to have him on here today via Skype. Thanks a lot, guys. Doug, thanks for joining us. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been seeing uh, there in what Northwest Iowa? Yeah, well, I'm up here in Humboldt, Iowa, North Central Iowa, and uh, what we're having a lot of a lot of luck with is our seed corn growers. Uh, there's a seed corn initiative, and and they're putting some cover crops on the the acres as they harvest the seed corn. A lot of them are going out and drilling some uh, cover crops out there, and those are the fields that we really uh, get the attention drawn to because those are growing out there uh, during the early fall months when we're getting a lot of heat and and sunlight and stuff out there to that ground, and we really get a lot of good growth, and so. Um, those farmers uh, kind of are the ones that, that everybody strives to make their cover crops look like. Um, the rest of us with our cash crops, uh, we try to get our uh, cover crops out there, mostly aerial flown or with a high clearance seeder. And we're actually uh, spreading it out there before we harvest and getting some growth before harvest. So uh, we like to see that green between the rows when we're harvesting our crops and we spread a little chaff on top of it and it almost disappears. And to a lot of people driving up and down the roads, they may not even notice that we're doing cover crops out in our fields, but we're trying to make a dent in our improving water quality, uh, recycling some of those nutrients. Uh, there's a lot of different practices out there and I think cover crops uh, seem to work really well. There's uh, different ways you can make cover crops pay and, and I think recycling the nutrients is one of the the best ways to do it. So if you think back to when you first started getting into cover crops, first off, when was that and why exactly did you decide to take on cover crops? Yeah, so the... the uh, spring of 2012, we had some growers in the area starting to use cover crops. Most of them were started in our watershed areas. Uh, they had some incentives to do cover crops. And so I was starting to kind of watch what cover crops had to offer. We had a um, uh, some really nice weather that spring. And so the cover crops really looked good and uh, made me feel like, hey, that's something maybe I should try on my farm. 
I'd been doing no-till and strip-till since about the year 2000. So um, I was looking for a little something else to add to my uh, cover or add to my farm to, for conservation-wise to help loosen that soil. And uh, cover crops look to maybe be part of that key. Um, cereal rye is one of our biggest uh, cover crops that we use in the area. I have done some winter wheat and had some success with that. Um, the cereal rye, it'll green up pretty early in the spring, and it keeps that ground covered. Um, the roots are going down deep. You know, that's one thing as, as farmers, we, we uh, typically just drive by on the field and take a look at our crops and, and try to make a determination how successful they are. But a lot of times, cover crops, what's going on underground is, is a little bit more important and stuff. So, so one of the, the things I like to do when I do go out in the field is to, to look for earthworms. The healthier your soil, the more earthworms you'll find. And in fact, this spring, I was finding more earthworms in the furrow than I was kernels of corn. So, so I'd say I have, I have quite a few worms out there per acre when you're figuring we're dropping about 35,000 seeds per acre. That's pretty awesome. Zach, do your earthworms speak Minnesotan? Yeah, I would assume so. Uh, the trouble is getting them to talk. They're generally <laughs> quiet people. You got to just spend more time. You got to they got to warm up to you a little bit. Yeah, how about I'll have you up to my farm and then we'll go dig up some earthworms I'll and hang I'll let out. you spend some time with them. That'd be awesome. While I go to the bar. Okay, deal. Um so now Doug, now with as you're flying on cover crops and whatnot, sounds like the best way to get stuff established in your area. Any other it, walk us through some of those specifics. And I know you've got um, some of the stuff that's by the book uh, is my understanding, but then some of the stuff, you know, that um, maybe not uh, not quite by the book, though also, you know, to give some of our listeners some ideas and whatnot on, on how we can get some cover crops established. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in this part of the Midwest, you know, we, we don't have a lot of heat in the fall, and so the, the best way to get a jump start is to actually get your seed out there before you do a harvest. Um the the thing I've noticed is the guys that are doing more no-till that have a, a little bit of a rougher surface to their soil, uh, more earthworm middens out there, will actually have a little bit better stand um, on a drier year because those earthworms seem to pull some of those seeds into their middens and, and that seed starts to germinate in that midden. Um, some of our conventional tilled farmers, uh, we more hope that there's a timely rain to get that seed uh, germinating and starting because the the seed the soil surface tends to be a little bit harder and smooth in a conventionally tilled field, which you know is kind of backwards of what what the farmer's doing. You know, he's out there in the spring uh, field cultivating it, and making it pretty nice and fluffy. But what happens is the impact of that raindrop really beats that soil back down throughout the year and and really helps seal the surface off and what we're seeing is we get a lot more runoff from those uh, storm events when we do have a smooth surface, whereas our, our no-till surfaces are a little bit rougher and we tend to get a little better infiltration. And that's one of the reasons why we're planting our cover crops is to also uh, to help break up some compaction layers deeper down in our soil profile and, and to get those worm channels and stuff like that that come to the surface that help infiltrate the, the water through those macropores. Now, some different good kind of thought process and whatnot there, you know, Doug. So I think that's interesting. How over the last couple of years, you know, like you said, you've been in this for a while. Um, what's some of the progress been here recently? Um, and what do you think needs to continue happening in order to keep accelerating progress? Yeah, the state of Iowa last year, um, passed a, a water quality, uh, bill and, uh, 
uh, Governor Reynolds. That was her first bill that she was uh, proud to sign. And what that did was that brought some more cost share dollars to the table so that we have more cost share dollars to uh, offer to the farmers. Um, so hopefully, uh, as years go ahead, that funding keeps increasing is the plan. And so we should have some more cost share dollars to help uh, get farmers to try new practices because uh, for a farmer, you know, trying something new, there's there's some risk to it. And hopefully with these cost share dollars, we can offset some of those risks. I'm curious on, on your farm, Doug, is there a specific thing or a specific set of things that you're going for with cover crops? You know, we can use them for such a, a large number of things, you know, just to name a few, you've got wind erosion and, and nitrogen fixation and compaction issues, water infiltration. What what are you trying to accomplish with your cover crops on your farm? Yeah, so um, we've done some water testing where we've actually pulled some samples up from tile intakes or if you can catch it at your outlet. And what I've done was uh, had soybeans and I flew on a cereal rye cover crop and I planted my corn crop and had not applied any nitrogen yet. And I was having higher nitrate levels in my drainage water than I actually uh, had in the soil surface when I was doing my late seat spring uh, nitrate test. And so what it shows me is that even though I'm doing what we would say is all the best management practices, you know, my system still is leaking and it's leaking some of that nitrogen out. Now, we didn't have the best fall growth on our cover crop, so I think that was part of the reason why some of it was getting to the, to the tile lines. Um, so what I look at is when I'm spending money on fertilizer and some of it is leaking out of my system, that's money that's that's lost and it's never coming back. Uh, we've got different practices like saturated buffers or bioreactors that are edge of field practices that help take the nitrates that are in our drainage water and, and clean it up before sending it down the stream. But that really doesn't put any money back in the farmer's pocket. I look at cover crops as a way to recycle my nutrients. So the, the nutrients that I apply to my farm, if I can get a good cover crop established, it'll help uh, sequester some of those nitrates and other uh, fertilizer and keep it from getting flushed out of my system. And as that cover crop grows and then we terminate it in the spring, that will return that to our soil as that cover crop decomposes. So I see it as a way of, of kind of recycling that nutrient dollar that I've already spent helping keep it on my farm. So you're, you're really using it kind of as a, as a nitrogen management tool on your farm. And, it's and like a nitrogen the water stabilizer. The it's same. like a nitrogen stabilizer. And that's definitely been my approach to it too. Can I utilize the microbes as little soil or as little fertilizer packets? And can I utilize the cover crop as a really secure nutrient stabilizer? But in order to do that, I need to understand better how much is tied up in my cover crop and when do I get it back? Because then as a farmer, I can change my management practices. You know, if I'm tying up a whole bunch at, at planting time, well, I need to ramp up my starter fertilizer just a little bit. If I, if my cover crop is really small at planting time, like it was last year, well, then I don't, I'm not tying up that terrible much. Right. Um, and if I'm tying up a whole bunch at the beginning and I'm putting on a little bit more with my planter, I know that that nutrient in the cover crop, though, it's going to come back later in the year. So instead of upping my rate at planting time and just upping my rate to up my rate, because I don't want to, I want to make sure that I have enough, I'm moving the nitrogen that I was going to pl apply at side dress or a later application, and I'm moving 10 or 15 units of that later application to that early application because I know that that nutrient is tied up in the cover crop and I'll get it later in the season really when I need it. Working to quantify some of that here now with 
with Dr. Haney. But um, Doug, what do you, what's your thoughts along those lines or how have you guys been able to change, you know, and, and a lot of this is if we're implementing cover crops, you have to do more than just plant a cover crop and expect it to work. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things, you know, with new producers, you know, there's a lot of challenges in, in how you time uh, planting, timing termination, timing nutrient application. You know, all those challenges are, are opening several areas of, of uh potential areas of, of messing up as a farmer. So what we hope, you know, some of us are, have been doing cover crops longer than others. And, and what I like to do is go out and talk to other farmers and let them find out, Hey, this, this is what I've done on my farm. This is what's worked for me. This didn't work so well. So, you know, what we're trying to do is make sure that people aren't making the same mistake twice and stuff. And what I look at is, you know, my cereal rye, uh, a lot of people are a little worried about putting that ahead of your corn crop, but I think you're right, Mitchell. It's a lot to do with, uh, when does it release that nutrients and stuff and cereal rye uh, from what I'm kind of reading is it's kind of like a slow release nitrogen and you know when we need our nitrogen for our corn crop is later on when it's uh, filling the ear but we also don't want to shortchange it early in the season to get that early growth so like you said we need to put a little bit of nitrogen you know with the planter is, is a great time to do it it's not additional nitrogen on top of what you're already planning to do but just putting it up front with the planter instead of uh, later on in the season or instead of putting it all on uh, before before you plant, um, you know, we like to see people split apply it to, to better utilize that nitrogen dollar. Yeah, I think definitely, you know, tying in more of those other components of the four R's and it's definitely not something we would have to do. I mean, on our operation, we actually have not been putting putting on nutrients with the planter. Now we're working on being able to get set up to be able to do that, but we haven't been doing that so far and we've had fantastic success uh, planting into green cover crop with our corn. But it just gives us some more options, I think. And as we continue to learn more about how much is being tied up in that cover crop, give us some more options to be able to change. And and for me, it's utilizing the cover crop now as a offensive tool rather than only as a defense. I think that's, you know, the the opportunity to change, the opportunity to put a different light on it and a little bit different thought process to using cover crops. Yeah, you know, you talked about offensive, you know, and another thing with our cover crops are, you know, we, we can help protect our, our weed, you know, spectrum and stuff out there. Uh, when I first switched over to our no-till, strip-till system, you know, we had lots of winter annuals, uh, tansy mustard, uh, shepherd's purse, you know, and stuff like that. Some some winter annuals would come through and we'd have to, you know, the first few years you kind of got by without treating it. But the longer you went, the more that population increased. And when we switched over to our cover crop system, you know, we really don't have that issue out there anymore. And if we do have that issue, we are coming out pretty early with our herbicide program and burning that off. Um, when I first switched to our no-till system, uh, you know, I was a little lax at, at getting out there to do my herbicide uh you know, treatments, because I didn't see a lot of weeds out there. And as a farmer, you want to make sure if you're applying a burn down, you're getting the biggest bang for your buck. So I tried to delay it as most as I could. And I think I've, I've done a lot better job by getting out there early and, and uh, terminating that cover crop and, and just starting with that clean seed bed. It just seems to work really well for us. Again, we're talking with Doug Adams, a farmer in Iowa via Skype. So for the most part, you are killing your cover crop before you plant into it. Is that for corn and beans or walk us through a little bit of that? 
Yeah, most of the time I, I do terminate. Usually it's the day of or the day before I plant corn typically. And most of the time it's the same way for our soybeans. Now, I have gone in. Uh, every year is totally different. And so we just play it by ear. Uh, the, the first year I really had to change my plans. Um, what happened was we had a wet May and it was one of those that, you know, it kept raining about every week and, and you're just thinking, oh, next week we'll get out there and we'll terminate that cover crop so we can plant. But I didn't want to terminate that cover crop, even though I knew I could probably get out and spray. The field wasn't quite ready to plant yet. So I just let that cover crop grow because I didn't want that cover crop, you know, to be a mat on the soil surface. You know, we've seen that so many times where we just get too much residue on the surface. The sunlight can't get down there. The wind doesn't blow across it and it just stays wet for a long time. Whereas you let that cover crop grow and it really pulls a lot of moisture out of the soil profile. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody's done a study, but it'd be interesting to look at how much water can come out of your soil profile from a living uh, cereal rye plant versus your tile system. I'd almost say the, the cover crop, you know, especially if you have a good cover crop across all your acres, it's probably going to do just as well, if not better than that tile system. And so what ended up happening was the cover crop got about shoulder high and I never thought the cereal rye would get that tall. And I'd seen, you know, videos, YouTube videos like Dave Brandt, Brandt out in Ohio. Uh, planting into tall cover crops and I just thought man that's those guys that have a uh, a wheat crop or something like that and they're getting a big head start we'll never have uh, cereal rye like that but sure enough you know you let it grow long enough it'll get shoulder high and and we planted into it and the pickups really slow down when they're going by on the blacktop and the, the yeah. word gets to town before you do that that you're planting into green cover crops and uh, we had sprayed it the day before and then what i like to do is i like to come back in and roll it uh, to get a little more sunlight down to the soil surface to help those soybeans get established and another thing that does is that puts all that crop residue down on the surface which really eliminates the the chance for weeds to come through so um, we've also done some crimping to terminate it, and that's worked out well, too. But you just have to wait for the right growth stage of that cereal rye. Our buddies like Adam Doggerty and, and uh, Russell Hedrick, they call that squatchy. That cover crop <laughs> is all big like that. They call it squatchy. I think it's awesome. But so Okay, so spraying it off, then rolling it or crimping it or whatever down later after those soybeans have been planted or maybe are already coming up. It, that's kind of interesting. So Zach, we were talking about that earlier, you know, with getting some of that moisture pulled out of the soil, allowing transpiration to work, to dry down that soil a little bit and uh, prepare that seed bed in the spring. That's interesting kind of components, you know, a different, a different thought process that right. usually when you're thinking of cover crops, guys are worried about that soil being more wet and Doug, like you brought up is kind of what we've seen also it gets really wet and nasty when you kill it a little too early or when you kill it and then you try to plant into that dying decomposing kind of mat of nastiness. But if you keep it up and growing and green, then it's continuing to work for you. Yeah. And one of my biggest concerns too was, you know, with trash whippers and, and everything on the planter, you know, I've all, you know, seen where, where hay can get twisted up and stuff like that. You know, if you go through a grass waterway or, or something like that, you know, you can get some dead plants, you know, wrapping around things and you just look at a whole field of it and you just think, man, that's just going to drive me nuts. I'm going to be unplugging a planter all the time. But when you go through it green, it just cuts like a a sharp pair of scissors. I mean, it's just amazing how those disc openers can slice right through that green rye. 
when I stopped to check the planter depth, when I first pulled in the field, I'd come from my normal no-till situation, didn't change any settings, dropped the planter in the ground, went a few hundred feet in the field and got out and I started digging for the, the seed to make sure the, the seed depth was okay because I figured I was going to have to make it go deeper when it's riding in all this residue. The beans were actually hard to find. I couldn't find any. I was like, well, the monitor says it's planting. What's going on here? I just had to keep digging deeper because I think the rye roots helped mellow up that soil that the planter disc openers were able to penetrate deeper than they had been in the no-till field using the same planter settings and stuff. So that really opened my eyes, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing when, when farmers are trying something new, you know, is to get off the planter and take a look and see what's really going on out there in the field because what we expect may not be what's actually going on and stuff so you just kind of have to get out there and, and make the adjustments and, and double check what you're doing this has been a good conversation cover crops obviously a hot topic um doug you know every time i thought of a good question here you answered it before i could get to it which means you're a good interviewer here it's been interesting <laughs> to listen to you and and hear you talk about your experience with cover crops why don't you give the listeners a little bit of an idea on how they can get in touch with you if they have more questions beyond what we've talked about here today yeah, so, you know, a lot of the stuff I'm learning about cover crops, I'm on Twitter, at um, FarmerDoug93. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, so if you need to, you know, pop me a question or whatever, just tweet me on Twitter. Uh, the other thing, I'm here at the NRCS office in Humboldt, Iowa. Um, you know, if you have any questions, just go ahead and give me a call here at the office. I'm happy to help anybody out. I'm in a little different situation than a lot of NRCS employees where I actually work off, work off the farm at the NRCS office as well as farm in the field. And so I kind of have a little different viewpoint. And, uh, you know, farmers are more apt to talk to me about questions than their local office sometime and stuff. So I'm glad to help out wherever possible. That was Doug Adams, a farmer in Iowa. We spoke with him today via Skype. Thanks for joining us, Doug. Yeah, thanks, guys. I look forward to hearing more out of you. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another exciting episode of the Fieldwork Podcast. Thanks to everybody who helps to make this happen, especially Amy Baxter, Amy Scotchus Cole, Dan Ackerman, Todd Melby, Lauren Humpert, Laura Doherty, Dom DeFurio, and Jeff Thompson. Johnny Vince Evans wrote our theme song and performed it with Corey Schreppel. Thanks for all the engineering and technical support that we got from the folks at American Public Media. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Also go to fieldworktalk.org to see the other places you can follow us, including at Fieldwork Talk on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Doug, do you have a tagline or anything that we could punch out with here? We've been looking for a good tagline. I was hoping you had something. Now after his, it's keep it squatchy. That's what those boys down yeah. in Tennessee say. Well, you got to do the official out then. Over and out. Keep it squatchy.